Good morning, church. How is everyone? Glad that you are here this morning. My name is Cody King. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, I'm very pleased to be with you this morning. Um, we're going through First um, Peter. This is week six of our series called Exiled. And um, if you're joining us for the first time, First uh, Peter, Peter's writing to the church in Asia, Asia Minor, and he's writing to a church at a time where they're experiencing a great deal of persecution and oppression. And he's writing to them, and he's encouraging them through this time to endure the suffering that they're facing, to endure for a time. And he calls them exiles because as Christians, our citizenship is in heaven. That's where our inheritance lies. So for a time, we are exiled here, and we should endure the time that we are here to get to the eternal glory that's awaiting us. So if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, uh, Brandon and Brian, and uh, along with Peter, were, were telling us and teaching us how we should be relating to other people. Right, how we should relate to those that um, those that are in authority over us, how we should relate to our masters, namely how we as employees should relate to our employers, how um, wives can relate to unbelieving husbands, how husbands then relate to their wives. But this morning, and we're going to pick up in verse 8, and, and Peter's going to begin telling us not, not so much how we relate to others, but how we should be relating to each other within the church. All right, he says, finally, all of you, speaking to the church, he says, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So, so these things aren't necessarily things that we do. Right? These are character traits that we should have. These things should define who we are, but define who we are not individually, but who we are as a people. We should be a kind of people. So these five character, character traits should play out in us. They come from within us and should play out in our lives. So one, he says, to have unity of mind. Essentially, that's just, that's have a common mindset. That's be like-minded. It's not to say that we're, he's not saying agree on everything. Right? If this is your first time to ever walk into a church, please understand that we're not going to agree on everything. If you've been in church most of your life, you've seen churches, church people don't agree on everything. That's in part why we have a bunch of different color chairs because we knew at some point somebody's not going to like the color. Right, so if you like a green chair, you can sit in a green chair. Right, if your spouse likes a blue chair, she or he can sit in a blue chair. You can probably find two of those right beside each other, but please don't ask somebody to move if you find two sit beside each other. But we're not going to agree on everything. But we do need to agree, have this unity of mind that we're going to agree on the essentials of our faith, the essentials of Christian living is what we're going to agree on. We're not going to have a conversation and a debate and an argument over coffee over predestination versus choice. We're not going to have that conversation. But we will have the conversation over the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the, and the, and the Holy Spirit. Right? Three distinct persons, but one are all fully God. Right? We're going to have that conversation because it is essential. Baptism is essential. We're going to have that conversation. Peter later on next week is going to talk more about baptism. But it's have a unity mind, a common mindset. And it's not being divisive or causing disunity and disruption within the body. And he says, have sympathy. It's just be sympathetic. Have compassion for one another. Feel what others are feeling so that, so that you can be tender with them. You can be sensitive to them. Right? You can respond sensitively to them when they're going through struggle. Right? And true sympathy is fairly quiet. And when someone's going through something, we t what do we tend to do? We, we want to fix it. We don't want them going through it, so we try and fix it. But we usually try and fix it with words. But really, to be sympathetic sometimes is just to be quiet. 
just to be there, just to listen, right? to be an ear. Then he says, have brotherly love. Now, this brotherly love, this is what he's saying is, is don't consider each other, treat others like a third cousin twice removed on your mother's side, right? That guy that, 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 you, that you see at the family reunion every five years, you know, and you just casually, hey, man, how's it going? Oh, it's been pretty good. Well, you've been up to, well, I had a couple kids, right? You know, you married yet? No, I'm still single. Smartest guy in the room. I'm telling you what, right? You know, how's your mom and them? Well, you didn't hear cancer scare last year, but she's okay. Okay, good. We'll see you in five years. That's not the idea here. He's saying have brotherly love with each other. Consider each other close family. Right? Love one another. Consider each other close. And again, it's not without disagreements. Right? Who in here has siblings? Right? I have two brothers. Right? I have an older brother and a younger brother. Right? Stuck right in the middle of them two. Different than both of them. Right? But me and my younger brother, we shared a room when we were kids. You don't think we had some disagreements? Right? There were times, I mean, the first service, my dad's like, yeah, you did. You know, and there were times where, you know, it took his intervention and his belt to kind of separate the two of us with some of the fights, right? But, um, but after the dust settled in those arguments, we came back to that common ground, right? that we were brothers and we love each other. But we're going to have some quarrels and some disagreements, right? But we love each other and we're going to treat each other well and with respect. Not only that, we have, we have a connection between us me and my brothers, you and your siblings, that can never be undone. We are tied together by the blood of our fathers, and that will last forever. We're eternally knitted together in that way. But Peter's saying to the church here, have that kind of love for one another because there is a bond that connects us as a church that is much deeper than that. It's not the blood of our fathers, but it's the blood of the Son that ties us all together, and that will go on forever. So love one another, he says. Then he says, have a tender heart. Literally, this means feel generous in your belly is what it's saying. But what does that mean? You, you, ever, you know when sometimes you've said something that you really didn't mean, but it came out, right, and it was so bad that it just kind of, in the pit of your stomach, you just knew you shouldn't have said that, right? You've been there? That's the idea here. But he's saying, he's saying, he's saying have a tender heart. Be so genuine from your core, deep within inside you, in your, from your guts, Mean what you say. If you say God bless you to somebody, mean God bless you. you know, don't just say it casually just so you know, someone might feel good when they hear it. But mean what you say. That's what he means. And then he says have a humble mind. Essentially know your condition is what he's saying. Know your condition that apart from the grace of God, your situation, my situation is bleak at best. Right? That we are unworthy, filthy sinners. Apart from the grace of God, our best days are like filthy rags to him. Right? We should know and understand that, that we are utterly despondent on our own apart from the grace of God. And when we get to that and we have that humble mind, that doesn't leave any room for a pushy, self-assertive pride that would cause disunity or divisiveness or cause us to hate our brother instead of love our brother. So have a humble mind, he says. In Luke 18, Jesus tells us the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. He says in verse 10, he says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. He said, The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, he says. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Peter says, have a humble mind. And it leaves no room for pride. So, out of these five things, so it's a pretty stellar person that has and maintains all these characteristics. Wouldn't you agree? You're going to like this person. There's no way around it. You're going to like this person that has all these character traits and plays them out in your life. If you don't like this person, that means that you don't have these character traits. And the goodness in this person convicts you of your failure in these areas. But these things, they come from the inside out. And they also, they go against our very human nature. It's against human nature to act like this all the time. And these things can be faked as well. There are people who've gotten really good at faking these things for an hour on Sunday morning, much like the video. We've all got stuff, but we come and we act like we don't. We come like whitewashed tombs on the outside, but inwardly we're wasting away. But it's not easy to have these and maintain these things. It's, it's not an easy task. We can easily be ununified, right? Instead of agreeing on the essentials, we can essentially disagree. If you disagree with me, you're telling me I'm wrong. But if you're telling me I'm wrong, well, I just can't stand for that. You know? And nobody moves. You see it play out in social media all the time. I've seen friendships ruined and relationships ruined because you're telling me I'm wrong if you don't agree with me. There's just that disunity and then nothing gets done. You see people part ways there. We can easily be unsympathetic. right? I worked hard for, I got, for what I got. Right? He was given everything and he lost it. How quickly we can think like that. We can quickly be disregarding of others. I don't know that guy. He goes to the third service. You know, I really don't know him all that well. I'm sure he's got somebody bringing him some water for his truck. It's not that hot today anyway. I got my good clothes on. I got somewhere to be. You know, it's very easy to think that way. I'm guilty. It's easy to be fake and not genuine. Man, that's tough. I'll be praying for you, but then we walk away and think, well, you reap what you sow. Pride is easy, like that Pharisee. Man, I've done some things. I really have done some things, but, man, that's pretty bad. I've never done that. It's very easy to elevate ourselves and lower others. So how, then, do we maintain these traits? How do we get and maintain these traits? If you're here today and you say, man, that's not me. I'm not that. How am I going to be what I'm not? You know? Or you come in and say, man, I want these traits. How do I get these traits? Well, look at John 15, 5. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. But look at verse 7. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you're here today and you would say that you don't have all these traits, you're not firing on all these cylinders, but you want to, Jesus says, connect to me, abide in me, I'm going to abide in you, and you're going to begin to bear fruit. And then not only that, if you abide in him and his word is in you, ask whatever you want, and he will give it to you. If you want these traits, you want to begin living that life right there. Connect to Jesus, connect to his word, ask for it, and he's going to give it to you. It's, it's, it's fairly, it's that simple. Peter continues in verse 9, and he begins to tell us, how these things begin to play out in their lives. He says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, 
but on the contrary, bless. Wait a minute. This, now, again, this is, this is radical thinking. This goes against our very human nature, especially at this point in time. These people that he's writing to that are greatly oppressed and greatly persecuted, you're telling me, Peter, that I'm supposed to bless those who would do evil to me. I'm supposed to bless that person that slanders my name, that insults me, that reviles me. How am I to bless that person? Well, what does he mean by bless? Let's look at that. The word for blessed there is eulogio, but it means to speak well of. It's where we get to eulogize or eulogy from. It's to speak well of. You want me to speak well of someone that would do evil to me. Now, we don't see it so much in America because we're relative, we're safe here in America as Christians from real dangerous physical persecution. But there are places in this world that for you to proclaim the name of Jesus could get you killed. If the wrong person overhears you proclaiming Jesus, you could be killed, and no one will bat an eye. But yet, we're supposed to bless that person? Instead of returning evil for evil or insult for insult, we should, we should be finding ways to serve them. Right? We should be praying for them, desiring for their, having a desire for their well-being. That is completely contrary to our human nature. And it starts early, right? I mean, we see it in our kids, or I see it in your kids. You can spot it, you know, they throw a ball at one of them, and they get hit, and then the other one. And you can see plotting, and you, you know, you got to step in. Hey, don't do that, right? But, I mean, we want to return the favor. And then sometimes, when we see something coming, we feel something is about to be coming towards us, what do we sometimes tend to do? we got to strike first. And that is a very dangerous slope. It's a slippery slope, church. Because oftentimes when we think we see something coming, someone's going to do something, we get the inclination, we got to strike first before they get us. Sometimes the road that we take to avoid the thing that we fear leads us straight to the thing that we fear. It's a very dangerous thing to have that mindset. I've got to strike before they strike. But instead, returning evil for evil, we should find ways to serve them, and that's just crazy. So how do we do this? How do we do these things? How do we bless those that would do evil for us? What's the standard then? Let's consider Jesus. Right? He is the answer to everything. He's the simple answer. How do you do this? Well, Jesus. Right? But WWJD, what would Jesus do? What did Jesus, what did Jesus do? Because right? he was most certainly reviled. He was insulted. They sought to do evil against him. Right? Throughout his, his whole ministry. But how did he respond? Never once in an evil way. What did Jesus do? Time and time again, you see it here. You read all about it in the Gospels. Jesus sought to serve them. He prayed for them, John 17. He desired for their well-being, and he desired for their well-being so much that he went to the cross and died for those people. He died for us. That's the standard. Why do we bless those that would do evil to us? Well, because Jesus did. And I guarantee you, I'm going, I mean, Peter here, he is greatly trying to lessen the impact of the suffering that you're encountering right now in this world. I'm try, he's trying to lessen that right now. Because if you consider what Jesus went through, what he endured in light of what your present suffering is, your present suffering doesn't hold a candle. Research crucifixion. Watch the passion of the Christ. Open your eyes and your heart. Ask the Lord to open your eyes and your heart to see what Jesus endured for you. He did not return evil for evil. And that's the standard. 
That's how we should be responding. And then he continues, he says, For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Now, it is crucial here, I believe, to understand what we're being called to. Because grammatically, this could go two ways, right? He says, bless, for to this, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Right? So you could say, bless, for to this you were called, so that you obtain a blessing. That means that the blessing that you would obtain is conditional upon you doing what you're called to do, which is bless. But you could read it the other way as well. Bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing, that you were called to obtain a blessing, but there's no condition on that. I believe it's the other way. Our calling, we're called to bless, and in so doing, we obtain a blessing. Now, it's not to mean that we earn this blessing by some meritorious work. Another way to say, another word, literally the word obtain there means to be heir to. So our blessing this we, that we obtain, it's inherited, it's freely given. It's not something that we earn. Right, remember chapter 1? Right? Our inheritance is to come. Right, We're exiled here and we're living for that inheritance that's come. It, it is earned. But in order to get that, in order to be there, we must bless. We would do what we're called to do. So if we go our entire lives entire lives, and we're so consumed with ourselves and our kingdom and what we're doing, and we never bless anyone. We don't pray for anyone. We don't seek for the well-being of others. We don't speak well of anyone else for our entire lives. We're not fulfilling our calling, and therefore, there is no blessing to be obtained. It's what he's saying. We have completely missed it if we go our entire lives and we haven't blessed any one other person. We've completely missed it. And then he continues in verse 10. In verse 10, he quotes, uh, he quotes from Psalm 34, and now he gets very practical, very practical with some straightforward advice. Right? So he says, whoever desires to love life and see good days. So who falls underneath this category? Participation Sunday. Everybody. Every person on this earth. I don't care how bad you think you are. Everyone desires to love life and see good days. Everybody does. They want to see good days. Right? So if that is you, which is everybody, tune in because he's about to give you a few things to get that. He says, let, them keep his, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. That's James 3. Guard your tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Our tongues can hurt. They can cut, and we know it. But he says, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And he says, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. If you don't want the face of the Lord against you, do good. Don't do evil. Seek righteousness, and his eyes will be open to you. His ears will be open to your prayer. That's in your present circumstances. Start seeking righteousness. And his ears are open to your prayer. And then he says in 13, Now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for good? Even in a hostile world, people aren't so quick to do harm to those who are loving and caring and want to help. Right? But that doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. Verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Much like, again, chapter 1, right? If you should suffer, if it be necessary for you to suffer for a time, even if you should suffer for what? Righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Matthew 5.10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, Have no fear, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ 
the Lord as holy. So what does this mean? What does it mean? It's very important to understand what it means to honor Christ the Lord as holy in your hearts. What does that mean? It means we should hallow Christ. Remember the Lord's Prayer? The first thing that Jesus said was, was, was our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. We should, be, we should sanctify him. We should set him apart in our heart from everything else. He should be number one. He should be first foremost. He should have the highest place, the greatest value. He should be the one that we love above everything else. That's, that you should love, love Jesus, the Lord, in your hearts above yourself, above your spouse, above your kids, above your job, above your hobbies, above your finances, above all else that's in this world, you should love and place Jesus in a category all by himself in your heart above everything else. We should be all stricken at the wonder and glory and majesty of Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what, that's what he means. That's the depth of what we should feel for Jesus. And then he says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you. Now, this is personal evangelism. And when it comes to personal evangelism and sharing your faith, right, all too often we don't want to make a defense for the reason for the hope that we have. We want to make a defense for the doctrine that we think we understand. Now, follow me on that. How do we generally feel sometimes whenever we think we need to evangelize or share our faith, right? We tend to feel a little ill-equipped. Anybody ever felt ill-equipped? Like you don't know what to say? So what do you do then? You prepare beforehand so that you have an argument to any question that you may be asked. Why? Because you don't want to look stupid. Because right? if we look stupid and don't know how to answer those off-the-wall crazy questions, right, the gospel hinges on it. That person's salvation hinges on us answering, do all dogs, all, all dogs go to heaven? Can I, can I phone a friend? I mean, but that's how we feel sometimes, right? I mean, it's silly, but we, we think we need to know and understand a doctrinal answer for everything that someone might ask us, so we prepare beforehand. But essentially, what are we doing? We don't want to be stuffed. We don't want to be tripped up. But what does that say about us? It says that we fear them. We're afraid of them and what they may think or say, so we don't do anything. But what does Peter say? He says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Look at Luke 21, 13 through 15 with me. He says, uh, this again, Jesus says, uh, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. He says, settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. So Jesus here says, set it in your minds. Don't prepare before him. Don't meditate beforehand for how you're going to answer somebody. But wait a minute. Peter just said, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that you have. So how are we going to always be prepared if we're not preparing beforehand? Right? Did those two things contradict? But the word always there negates preparing beforehand. So how, do we, how are we to be fearless and always prepared. I think the answer lies in what our hope is. So we're to give a defense for the reason for the hope that we have. The answer is in what that hope is. So follow me here. Consider, take, take an Oreo for an example. Okay, Double stuff, of course. If I ask you to go get me some Oreos, please bring back double stuff, not single. Right? 
right? The standard should be double stuff, I'm just saying. But anyway, so consider, consider an Oreo, right? You got one side of the Oreo, you got the, the chocolate cookie goodness. You know, and it says, don't be troubled, right? Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, right? Then the other chocolate cookie goodness says, always be ready, right? To give a defense for the reason for the hope that you have. Okay, so comparing the two, have no fear, nor be troubled. But in order to have no fear, you have to have, you have to be hopeful, right? Then the other side, you know, always be prepared to give a defense for the hope that you have. In order to do that, you have to be hopeful, right? So both sides of this Oreo are both telling us to do the same thing, namely, find something, do something, so that hope will begin to well with up in you, right? So what do we do? You know, what's in between those two pieces of chocolate cookie goodness? Is the wonderful, fantastic, sweet, white, fluffy icing that everybody loves, crammed right between those two pieces of cookie. So what is that icing? Well, what does Peter put in between those two things right there? He says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Always be prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks for the hope, for the reason for the hope that you, the hope that is in you. Right in between those two statements, he says, but have no fear, nor be troubled, but instead, alternatively, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. That's, that's what breaks apart the fear that we may have, and that's what prepares us to give a defense. Why? Why? I mean, let's go back to Luke 21 real quick. Look at verse 15. He says, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom. He says, I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Now, follow me here, and this is huge to me. This is huge when it comes to what we try and think we have to do or have to say in order to give a defense. He says, I will give you a mouth and I will give you wisdom. And they won't be able to say anything. So if he's our, what's the reason for our hope? It's Jesus. And the hope itself, again, there is Jesus, right? We are born again to a living hope. So if the reason for our hope is Jesus, and our hope itself is Jesus, and we're supposed to be ready to make a defense for that, but Jesus here says, I will give you a mouth and wisdom. Essentially, Jesus is saying, I'm going to make my own defense for myself through you. So we don't have to do anything. Are you tracking with me? If we set Christ apart in our heart, is holy, if we sanctify him within ourselves, if he is number one above all things, if we are connected to the vine, we're bearing fruit, and he is set apart in us, then he says here, I'm going to give you the words to make a defense for the reason, me, for the hope that you have, me. So essentially, all we have to do is trust Jesus. That's what empowers me to be here, because I'm not a speaker. I'm never one to stand on stage and talk to anybody, but it's Jesus through me doing that. There's no way I would be here apart from Jesus in me, speaking through me, giving me his words to do this. I promise you, this is not Cody up here. But when our suffering, when we are suffering for righteousness' sake, and things seem to get darker and darker, and fear begins to creep in, set Christ apart as holy in your heart. When you think, when you feel that you don't, you don't, you don't, you're not prepared to give a reason, set Christ apart. Is holy in your heart. And he will give you a mouth. He will give you words. He will give you that wisdom. Essentially, make the defense himself. And he says, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. If Christ is set apart, it's holy in our heart, and giving you mouth 
and wisdom. There's no way it's going to come out without being gentle or respectful. There's just no way. There's no way it's going to come out without a good conscience. If it's coming from inside and Jesus is number one inside, it's going to be gentle. It's going to be respectful. Then he says, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. In their shame that they, they may be convic- convicted again of their evil behavior, right? And then repent and turn from it. It's much like chapter 2, verse 12. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles holy and good. Why? So that they would see your good works. When they slander you and they revile you, they would see your good works. And then they, in turn, would glorify God. And that's the point of the gospel. That's the point of all of it. It points to Jesus convicts the sinner of his sin so that he may repent and turn to God. And he says, For it is better for you to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Now the key here, church, the key is that we must be hopeful. We've got to be hopeful. If we're not hopeful, if we don't have anything to hope in, what are we going to be talking about? All right, remember, we can fake a lot of things, right? But you cannot fake hope. As much as there is a spiritual and emotional value on it, there is a physical difference between hopefulness and fear and despair. You can see it on people. Fear and despair, it just it robs us of our joy, of our happiness, the very life from us. But hopefulness, you can see it. You can see it on people. They're happy. They're uplifted. But when we're living in fear and despair and we have no hope and when we go and try and make a defense for a reason for the hope that we don't have, it's a mere sham. So we have to be hopeful. Sadly, there's a lot of people in the church that have been Christians for 10, 20, 30, 40 years and have no idea how to give a reason for the hope that they have because they don't have hope. But they can argue predestination. They can argue their side of Calvinism. But they have no idea how to tell you about the hope that they have. So we must be hopeful, church. And that's how we honor Christ, the Lord, as holy in our hearts. If we're hopeful in Him, that honors Him. And that just that strengthens that hope, that strengthens the honor that we have for him in our heart. So we should be unified, seek to be unified, sympathetic, love one another, be tenderhearted, have a humble mind, set, begin to set Christ apart in our hearts as holy, connect to him, allow him to change us from the inside out. But above all, church, we need to be hopeful. Be hopeful. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for I thank you for your word, Lord, as always, Lord, and just the power and the truth of your word. Lord, the conviction of it, Lord, the challenge of it, Lord, and the encouragement of your word, Lord. I thank you for Peter, Lord, and I just I pray for him, Lord. I pray for us, Lord, and I thank you for him, Lord, and his word, Lord, that we would take it and be encouraged, Lord, and that that by your spirit, Lord, we would, we would take it and understand it and begin to apply it to our lives, Lord. That we would find our hope within you, Lord. That you would take the fear that, that, 
that rules over sometimes, Lord, and just that you would teach us, Lord, to set you apart in our hearts, Lord, and connect with you, Lord, and be hopeful, Lord. And this, with that, Lord, that, that these characteristics, Lord, would, 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 would just come out of us, Lord. And as a church, we'd, we would see that in our community, in this county, Lord. Just pray that you go before us, Lord. I thank you for this morning, Lord. And I thank you for your hope. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.